0: For most of us, captivating stories have long blessed our homeschools, but did you know that in times of intense suffering, reading aloud to your children can have an amazing impact? Today's guest is someone I'm extremely proud of, a former student and author, Grace Ann, here to tell us about her new book, The Winter Elf, and how read-alouds can bless your family in times of suffering.
1: Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Meladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections.
0: Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Lisa Meladnik, your host, and today we're talking with author Grace Ann about her new book, The Winter Elf, and how Read Alouds can bless your family in times of suffering. Homeschool Connections and alumnus, and recent psychology graduate from Liberty University, Grace Ann is the founder of Grace Ann Originals, an online mixed mediums art studio, and is author of a new children's book, The Winter Elf. She's a writer, painter, and musician who delights in exploring a wide range of emotional, relational, and spiritual experiences through the arts. Inspired especially by the fiction of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, she seeks to express the good, the true, and the beautiful. Her website is thewinterelf.com. That's just how it sounds, and it will be in your show notes. Also, you can find Grace Ann on Instagram, at Grace Ann with an E, Originals, and Facebook is Grace Ann Originals as well. And again, that's in the show notes. Grace, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. This is just what every instructor, especially writing instructors who are totally geeking out over writing, wants to have happen, that you come full circle and you're speaking to a young adult who's really out there uh, making things happen, using her creative gifts. Um, it's just such an honor to be able to circle back and have this conversation with you, Grace.
2: Oh, thank you. The feeling is mutual. I'm, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to experience all of the education and then be able to actually pursue it in a very uh, proactive way such as writing.
0: Oh yeah yeah and you really do have to be a self-starter and and in everything that you do I just get this sense too that there's a there's a strong engine there there's a strong drive and that's really (laughs) exciting. So would you like to say a little bit about kind of how your writing developed? So I was I, I got
2: interested into writing when I was probably about nine years old I started doing it as a form of helping my younger siblings understand difficult concepts, uh, particularly like when we would deal with the loss of a pet or something like that. And I tried to help them understand that there, you know, there's a good side and there, there is hope in death still as a Christian and help my younger siblings to understand that. So I continued with writing a little bit, but it was really once I got into homeschool connections at um, about 14 uh, that that I started to really figure out like wait a second i can i can get good at this this is something i really like this isn't just a little hobby Uh, and the more classes i started taking the more i couldn't get enough of it Uh, and so i became very strict about writing and i'm very passionate about uh, grammar Thanks to you. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yes. Yes, my my brother and I will send each other sentences back and forth and just say, what do you think about this grammar here? (laughs) I love it. I love it. My fellow geeks, it's spreading. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just really uh, took as many writing courses and creative writing courses as possible and continued that even after finishing with Homeschool Connections. And
0: um, it honestly got me where I am today now being able to publish my first book. Gosh, that's so exciting. And our program, for those of you listening who haven't already experienced it, was created by Professor Erin Brown. And she, uh, she did everything from soup to nuts, from punctuation and grammar to business writing and screenwriting and fiction writing and All the academic and research writing your kids can need for preparation for life, for college, wherever they're headed. It's just a fantastic program, and it's been my honor to teach in that program for several years. So uh, just a beautiful program. All right. So Grace, step us into our topic, which really fascinates me, and I think all of us, because we've all gone through traumatic times. Talk about the value of stories for our families in a time of trauma.
2: Well, I think that story, it's an area of, that can be used as a therapeutic aid that hasn't really been explored much, but much uh, like play therapy or equine therapy, art therapy, uh, are used in a way to kind of help give the child mostly a safe, comfortable place to just relax where there's no strong expectations or stressors, and they're able to just totally be. Uh, wherever they are, uh, story time and uh, good stories can do that very, very well. Particularly in that they also provide morals and lessons that are told in the stories, as opposed to that's something you don't really get in art or play therapy. And in addition to the morals and the uh, the experience and the imagination that gets flowing, it's also a time for families to be able to come together and receive that connection. So it, it creates a very unique opportunity that isn't always available <laughs> in many other areas. And it's especially important to have when the family is going through trauma, because everybody's busy and getting pulled in every direction. And it can be hard for uh, children to feel like they're still in relationship with their parents and their other siblings.
0: Yeah. Can you relate it to sort of some of the things we're going through now? Because or our country's really in a time of intense suffering, isn't it?
2: Yes, yeah, most certainly. It, it's not something that any of us could have predicted, with all the stress that comes with COVID-19 this year. You, you can pretty much say without a doubt that every single family, every person is impacted by COVID in some way or another. Either someone that they love um, is sick or they've lost someone, or just the the reality of schools getting closed down or a parent losing a job. There's a lot of stressors that come in and it doesn't always have to do with illness. So I think now almost more than ever, it's really important that uh, parents and families really start looking proactively. Okay, how do we get through this without just surviving? and just enduring until you know 2020 is finally over and hopefully all this uh, craziness ends. And so, so being able to use story time and this while parents are really busy trying to find new jobs or get over illness and stuff like that, it can give kids a sense of security, which right now that is anything but this year so, so the, m- the more that we can kind of create a little time with like okay you know seven thirty at night or you know the, you know afternoon story time it creates that comfort and that peace and just knowing that okay for about an hour each day we can forget about covid <laughs> we can forget about all that kind of stuff and it's not a person just kind of going in on themselves and hiding and trying to close their eyes and d- deny the world outside them it's a family hunkering down together and holding their hands tighter to each other and saying, it's okay, we will make it through this. And we're going to come out stronger on the other side. So there's a lot of intentionality that comes through story when you in times of trauma, when you go through it, intentionality.
0: I love that on so many levels too, Grace, because we, we really want our children to understand that when they're stressed, even though the parents can be, as you said, really distracted, pulled in a million different directions, that if there's this time to look forward to, where we come together and kind of move into that place of story and imagination, and as you said, really good stories have morals and virtues and beautiful things that, while their little imaginations or, or even maturing imaginations are being ignited, is feeding their souls. What kinds of stories have inspired you? First and foremost, I have to say it's The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. <laughs>
2: Love that series. I've read it over and over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so many times. We kids have so many parts of those stories memorized. Uh, <laughs> but when I was a kid, that's um, my dad had Lyme disease most of my growing up, and that, that's what we did each day. My, my dad was very sick and wasn't able to spend a lot of time with us because of his illness and trying to also provide for his family at the same time. Uh, but every night we had story time and pretty much always it was the Chronicles of Narnia. We'd finish the whole series, get onto a couple other books for like maybe a year and then go right back around to it because there was a new kid who had never heard the stories before. And we loved it. The, the stories weren't just exciting and exhilarating and weren't just about kids so you could relate to it. But they, they really showcased wonderful family dynamics where, you know, while the children had struggles and problems and uh, bickering situations, those, those behaviors were addressed. No one was ever just allowed to be uh, pouty. <laughs> they weren't allowed to call each other names or something like that and just get away with it. That is most uh, prominently evident in the character of Edmund. Uh, It goes through a whole story arc on that. And uh, similarly, I I was always very taken by C.S. Lewis's and J.R.R. Tolkien's um, ability to integrate heavier themes and morals uh, and metaphors into their works in a way that was very subtle. And so it didn't sort of categorize their book as being only christian and only christians would be attracted to it it opened it up to a lot of people and with that subtlety people were able to it became more palatable and uh the messages that they were trying to get across they weren't so apparent but they still touched you very deeply and they they leave you every single book you close and you give it a big sigh and go wow
0: Okay. Where's the next one? <laughs> yeah. Right? It gives and, you a lot to think about. Yeah. It really does. And I, and I think what you said about reading them again, like having maybe a gap year, to it was for some other authors, just to be fair, right? Uh, yes. And then come back to Narnia again, because not only might you have new siblings that are ready to start, sort of begin to step into that world. But did you find this? I found this. Every time I read them, I find something new in them. They are so subtle and nuanced, as you said. And because they're using, because Tolkien and uh, Lewis both use fantasy, they both use this idea of other worlds, we can get that sense of the mystical or the supernatural along with the story without it ever devolving into preaching or anything like that. And so the, it's, a, it's a really lighthearted way to receive some deeper truths. Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, and that's a part, as a writer, I really wanted to look into that and see how, how can I replicate that? Um, because it doesn't seem like that's done quite so much nowadays. It seems that you're either very obvious or there is nothing deeper to it, more like um, pulp, uh, pop fantasy, pop fiction, and yeah, there's just nothing, nothing beyond it. And certainly, I agree. Like with every single time we read the story, there was always something new. But especially so as a child who was growing up with it and was a little bit older every single time and had new experiences. I was able to, and I could understand then why my dad would pause sometimes and point things out to us or repeat something again. And, you know, as a little kid, I'm like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) What's the big deal? And then a year later, I would hear it again and go, oh my goodness, that's huge. That is really, really important. And my family all the time, anytime there's difficult situations going on in our lives we pretty much always end up referring back to narnia as a comparison we tend to speak in uh similes and metaphors a lot in my family (laughs) narnia is takes the cake on how often we use it Um, it applies to so many different areas of life it's amazing
0: and you've mentioned how one can reach a wider audience using fiction. Talk about what you're reaching them with. Are there lessons that weave themselves into the work that you admire?
2: With, with fantasy, with good fiction, it breaks down the barriers. We we get taken up by the fiction and the story, and we're suddenly not deciding every single thing like you would with a lecture uh, you're going, hmm, I'm not really sure if I, if I agree with that or your approach here or <laughs> you're saying it too boring or, you know, your voice is too monotone or something like that. We, we kind of get to this point where like, I, I don't really care what you're saying, just like tell me what happens next. <sighs> <laughs> and so our barriers are down and we're in a place where we're more easily able to receive. And when it comes to changing and developing and growing as people and in, in times of trauma and learning how to uh, appropriately uh, cope with with the stressors of that, it's really important that you get those barriers down because when kids go through trauma, they, they pretty much get into a point where they're afraid to ever get hurt again. They realize that, you know, I you know, I really can't rely on this person anymore. Or, you know what, I know they're really busy, and so I'm just not going to go getting my hopes up for that because – you know, I know there's more, there's more important, there's bigger things going on right now than the anger that I'm feeling or something like that. This anger will pass in, I'll probably stop crying in an hour anyways or something like that. And it's just, it's such an awful thing for a child to go through, but it's a, it's a very common reality. So kids just kind of stay quiet or, you know, go into themselves and uh, you know, will will seek other forms of comfort, which oftentimes are, very damaging to who they are as a person. So being able to take story which ignites the imagination, which requires our soul, uh, you know, animals don't have the imagination that humans do. It's something very unique to us. By getting our spirit alive there, then we we come into a, a point where we're able to be more proactive and take action on things. And get excited about it, rather than just doing what somebody's telling us to do.
0: And like you said, to Grace, you mentioned the way it takes down barriers and the way children tend, in times of suffering and trauma for the family, to sideline themselves a little bit. They don't want to be a bother. Everybody's running around taking care of the sick person or whatever it is. Um, and that vulnerability that children can feel free to experience during story time, as well as that sense of I'm not powerless. Here's this little character, you know, doing something brave. I just love all of that. That, That's
2: exactly it. That's exactly it. So in the story that that I've written, I've purposely looked at that. I tried to take a child, something that's very relatable, putting them in a relatable circumstance, and giving them relatable behaviors as well, that same sort of sidelined approach to
0: stress. Lay out the story for us as well. I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. Uh, just lay out the story for us and talk about what you're doing there in the story, because the story is very beautiful, and it's really dealing with something that comes out of your own experience, but, but let's start, start with your story.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's much easier to talk about something if you know what you're talking about. Uh, the, story, <laughs> the story follows a little girl. Um, and her mother is in the hospital during the holidays and she's been in there for a long time and things are just looking pretty scary and this girl clara rose is in a situation where she's feeling that the only way that she can help as a child is to just get out of people's way and stay quiet and hide away uh, her tears from everybody else so that they don't have to worry about one extra thing and uh, on one of these nights that she's doing this, uh, she's alone in her room and she hears an elf in her yard and in kind of a classic fireside tale of magic and elves and and ancient wisdom and, and sayings, uh, this little girl learns from this elf the importance of embracing her pain in order to receive feeling from it and to be able to come out on the other side stronger.
0: Yeah, it's it's just beautiful. It it really does the the uh, the Narnia esque quality of it is so palpable. Um, I really love to see that that as a writer that you have kind of springboarded out of that. I mean, C.S. Lewis so often draws from the ancient Greek myths and things like that for his writings, and so we're meant to do that—to take great writing and then allow it to feed into our own stories and our own meaning. So. I don't want to stop you from completing your thought around the story and what it brings us grace and, and, and then connect it with your own experiences.
2: Yeah, well, um, well ultimately, yeah, the, the, some of those different lessons uh, that we've talked about here are integrated into the story through the child's behavior and um, being able to hear instruction, but then also follow through and, and live it out herself so kids can relate to that behavior and replicate that because generally we're much more likely to watch something and try to mirror it rather than just uh, do as somebody tells us. So I, the, the story, uh, what were you saying? Like
0: relate it to my own story. Yeah. I mean, you're very similar on it. Yeah. You touched on father's Lyme disease, but talk to us about how you related all of that to the healing power of story. So, I,
2: I certainly dealt with the my, my father's situation in the very same way that uh, Clara dealt with it, just staying quiet. And um, I, our family sort of had a series of different uh, illnesses, with a miscarriage of my my mother during the holidays. And so, I very much relate to Clara's situation. And honestly, I suppose that you could say the the Winter Elf is the the book. Is sort of a love letter to my past self recognizing uh, acknowledging the feelings that i had and the fears but then trying to guide a past self or any any other children who might be going through that um, into a more uh much healthier way of being able to deal with it not denying the issue but uh, also making
0: sure that you don't just let it keep going on Mm, yeah and um in that time of your dad being just so sick and then your mom being hospitalized, what did that gathering together at story time create in, in the midst of your family? Safe haven. <laughs> During all of that, every single day was so crazy
2: and it was so easy to uh, diminish my importance personally in the family. And, but every single day... Uh, Seven o'clock, on the dot. Uh, My my dad was always very adamant about that. We kids knew the routine. Everything was all over the place. As a homeschooled family, it's kind of the norm for things to be a little bit all over the place. And especially when there's illness going on, it's just chaotic. Uh, But for kids, routine is really, really important uh, for them to be able to deal with the stressors of life, especially when things are really difficult. So we had that routine every single night, and it was just kind of a calm time where we knew that okay, that's happening. If nothing else happens today, that's happening. And then in getting that time, it was this moment where I mean, my dad was in so much pain, and he would, he'd be down there sometimes. He'd have an ice pack wrapped around his head because he you know had a splitting headache. But despite all of that, it was like suddenly like magic entered the room, and he was he suddenly was better again. You. you Honestly, wouldn't have believed he was as sick as he was, uh, because this activity allowed him to be able to sit, and he didn't have to use physical energy. All he had to do was put energy into his voice, and so he did that. He put everything into that, and he just made those stories come alive. And us as kids were just sitting there with our imaginations just being uh, pumped <laughs> in the, that about hour to two hours which is vital for kids to have their imagination to continue going. And it was, I didn't realize it so much at the time, but in looking back on it, I've noticed how important it was for me to experience that despite my dad's pain that he was in and how hard it was for him to be able to be around a bunch of noisy kids. Cause it was so loud and, and it uh, caused him more pain that he was It was important to him. We were important enough to him to go through that every night and give us that story and to expend that energy into bringing those stories to life. And it gave me a real sense of value. Reminded me every single night before I went to bed that I was worth that pain. Even though my dad personally technically didn't gain anything from it is like, he's doing it for me. He's doing it for my siblings. We are worth that. And that's, that's the extent that, that that is a small, picture of the extent of his love uh, that, that were worth that
0: and how did you see that imaginative space rolling out into your lives that that's a really important part about story time and then
2: imaginative the, the imagination that comes from that we all of us kids and my parents, would have now a common point of connection and a common story to share, something we could all talk about. So no matter how much illness pulled us apart and made it hard for us to get together and have shared experiences, we always shared in that. We could always talk about that. And the the stories would get our imaginations going. And so the next day, most of the times during our recess, during homeschooling, my siblings and I would go outside and we would, reenact the different characters we would all assign each other the different names or some of us would be certain animals from Narnia and we would continue living out the story that we experienced the night before uh, which got us continuing to reflect on the lessons that were learned the night before and so we would even reenact some of those you know a a character behaving poorly and then learning a positive lesson and, and coming up better for it and then that gave us a point of uh, connection and conversation to be able to talk to our dad about or our mom later, and they, would, they were able to be a part of our play because they were a part of the story. So whether or not we were with our parents, it, it
0: was like we were always connected. Wow. I'd like to just just touch on some of the things that you've said that. When your dad would start to read, magic entered the room. And 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 those of you listening can't see Grace because it's a podcast, but we're seeing each other on Zoom. You just wouldn't believe the way her beautiful face lit up to recall <laughs> that moment of her father entering in with all the energy he could muster into his vocal performance of reading aloud to his precious children, honoring them and their value, making time for them, con- creating connection an imaginative community that played out in the, in the days to come. And what a beautiful point, Grace, that your parents were included in that play because it was your family's shared story. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Our farm uh, that that I grew up on and my family
2: still lives on today. Oh, it's called, we call it Narnia is, is the farm and we have a great lion right at uh, our front driveway that's awesome. and a, a lion weather vane and a lion door knocker and we call our house care bell yeah. and my dad reminded us all all the time especially whenever we read Narnia he'd always remind us that we are kings and queens of Narnia as sons and daughters of Christ we are we are kings and queens and we I mean I, I took that I, I would imagine like okay what does my crown look like and I, I would go out and I would explore our Narnia each day with that light that my dad gave me it was so valuable
0: my goodness, that's just beautiful. So with your own story, what impact are you hoping to have on others?
2: Well, with others, I would, honestly, I would really hope that they would be able to experience story time like we did. To be able to, so many different families and parents, they're not exactly sure how to do it. <laughs> and so it's, it's a little bit like just kind of reading the book and going through it. I, I would really hope that families can learn the power and the importance of story time and that they can start figuring out how to put in that same magic that my dad was able to put into his readings to be able to provide that connection and that imagination for children, to be able to inspire that play and continue that relationship uh, long after the children have left the room. And through that then, you know, then they can open up the floor for conversations about difficult topics if needed, and uh, give the kids a safe place where they know that they can talk to their parents honestly about whatever's going on, and uh, that everybody can kind of learn lessons and, and important pieces of life along the way.
0: What kind of encouragement can you offer to parents who are maybe a little shy about reading aloud? I mean, I know that when I when I was. Uh, New mom, I used to sing to my daughter all the time, and I wouldn't sing in public, like like she received a lot of love that way. Although there was a point when she did ask me to stop singing to her at bedtime, so I think she became a more discerning consumer. But I, but not to discourage you, because most of us are not trained performers or anything, and our children still beg us for stories. What kind of encouragement can you offer parents?
2: One of the clearest ways that I can advise grown-ups in. Uh, learning how to create a great story time atmosphere with their kids is in a letter to grown-ups that I have put at the beginning of my book, um, and I'll read it for you here because I think it really it does a nice job of just kind of summing it all up.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'd I'd love to have you read that aloud. It's beautifully written, and I think it's going to be a great way for us to to put together in our own minds some strong takeaways.
2: Wonderful. Okay. Then here's what we've got. Dear grown up, please seize this story as a chance to enter the world of childhood, fantasy, and even theater. Storytime is not simply a means of lulling children to sleep, but rather the duty to enrapture them in the imagination of another world and inspire the courage to follow dreams. I am the author. But you are the magician cast a spell then with your voice, dim lighting and perhaps a fire in the hearth or pine scented candles. Create safety with hot cocoa, warm blankets and a a place for children to rest. Enchant the story with a slightly slower and softer tone, as if there is a secret the children must wait to discover. Give voices to my Clara Rose and to my elf. Even try an English accent for Sydney. Children don't much care if it's accurate. But most importantly, dear grown up, if only for a moment, you must believe in magic. Believe in fairies and singing stars, in miracles and in elves. That which is improbable breeds the purest hope. The essence of dreams. In storytime magic, the environment of fiction grows and merges with reality until dreams and imagination are indistinguishable. It is there that the world of fantasy turns out to be much more real than we pretend it to be. So capture the hearts of your little ones.
0: Fill them with faith
2: and wonder.
0: Oof, boy, Grace, I've got tears in my eyes. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, see, folks, how your kids can grow up just like Grace. (laughs) All you have to do is read to them lots. And in your times of difficulty, which we all experience, allow these beautiful stories to be kind of portals into greater goodness, truth, and beauty, uh, which Grace is dedicated to. And I just couldn't be, in just a tiny, tiny way that I got the honor to intersect with your life for a little while, Grace, couldn't be more proud. Certainly don't take any responsibility for that, but just just so proud of you and, and what you're creating with your writing, your music, your painting, all of the things that you're doing and your and your understanding of the human person. Just... Can't wait to interview you again at whatever the next season will be for you and just see what you continue to create. Oh, thank you so much. It's
2: been such a joy. Uh, I've I've loved every minute of this wonderful, crazy ride. Um, (laughs) And it's been a, a true honor to be able to have you as a teacher and to be able to reconnect with you again and talk about this kind of stuff. Very, very exciting.
0: Yeah, it really is. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, this is, again, Grace Ann, and you can find her at thewinterelf.com, and that's in our show notes, on Instagram, at Grace Ann with an E, Originals, Grace Ann Originals, and on Facebook, also Grace Ann Originals. And whenever I say Ann with an E, I think of Ann Shirley, so there's, my, <laughs> there's one of my favorite stories popping out as well, another favorite, but please do look for Grace Ann and follow. She's really someone to watch, and can't thank her enough for being with us today. Well, thank you very
2: much. Thank you again for having me. It was a real delight to be able to talk about all of this.
0: Okay. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. And please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up.
1: Hi, this is Dan Lazonas from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today, I want to talk briefly about why you should set out to raise truly unique kids and how in doing so, it will really help them later on and throughout their working careers. So first of all, some 12 years ago, when our son John was hyper accelerating with his reading and math prowess, it became apparent to my wife and me that we would have to educate him outside the system. Like all new uninitiated parents, the prospect of homeschooling was new and definitely laced with fear and a little dread. My wife, and I tease her about this incident to this day, said I don't want my kids to grow up too different. As we survived the initial growing pains of homeschooling, now we both agree that we aspire to make our kids as different as humanly possible. Whenever someone says they don't want their kid to be different, I say, what do you mean different? Different like Steve Jobs? different like Bill Gates? I think it was Gates who said that weird is the side effect of awesome. So there you have it, young new parents being frightened of their kids standing out from the crowd versus older experienced parents understanding the true value and vast advantages of divergence. When you, through a whole variety and portfolio of tactics, when you succeed in raising truly unique kids, they will have three superpowers to wield throughout their lives. Number one, they will be able to think for themselves. They won't be tossed and turned by the tides of popular opinion. They won't be pushed and prodded by the propaganda of the media and internet, no less by all the brainwashed people all around them. Secondly, your profoundly unique child will have leadership skills. They will most certainly not be a follower. They will be extremely ultra self-confident. And they will be magnetic as others will be drawn to and actually look up to them. The third reason why you want to set out to intentionally raise truly unique kids is that your children with unique talents, hobbies, and skills will in all likelihood become successful entrepreneurs. So that proclivity for divergence, that ability to go against the grain and to think outside the box will serve them extremely well in the world of business. Because after all, in this hyper-competitive global economy, Rather than being one of thousands of real estate agents and lawyers and doctors or CPAs, it's far safer and better for them to go into a niche business with a moat around it that's protected from competition. Hmm, sort of like Microsoft or Apple. I want you to think about raising unique kids as a long-term goal and ideal to strive for that is going to separate them from the maddening crowd and also provide a lot of intellectual, social, and financial insurance for them down the road. If you want to learn more directly how to turn your uniquely gifted children into entrepreneurs, then visit my weird 15-year-old homeschool son's website, kidsgetrich.com.
0: That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.